Hello and welcome in. We really appreciate you joining us for this Monday edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. It's January 30th and we're deep in the midst of our Sunbelt in review series where we're breaking down the 2022 seasons of each Sunbelt school with the help of the experts that cover them on a daily basis. On our latest episode, episode 61, we will devote time to the 2022 season for the Georgia State Panthers a team that provided many exciting moments but largely failed to meet some lofty preseason expectations. We hope that you've been able to catch the last couple of episodes in our Sunbelt in Review series where we spoke with ABC 22 anchor Frank Solkowski about the Georgia Southern Eagles and their big offensive turnaround, as well as Friday's episode with App State sideline reporter Molly Cotton who took us inside that locker room at App State. If you miss those episodes, don't worry. You can find them by clicking the link in our Twitter bio or by visiting Apple or Spotify in the coming days. You're not going to want to miss those episodes. We have just a few episodes remaining in our Sunbelt in Review series. Today, Caden, we're going to focus our attention on the 2022 season for the Georgia State Panthers, who finished 4-8, and eight, failing to build on this program's back-to-back bowl appearances. It's sad to know we're getting to the point of this series where we're talking to less teams than we did in the beginning because we've just been learning so much from these different teams, from these different people about the program, getting the curtain pulled back a little bit about some of the recruiting as well. Just some of the past, present, and future of these programs has been great to learn, and Georgia State was no different. Hey, on this episode, we're excited to welcome reporter Ben Moore, who covers the team for 24-7 Sports, to the Freire and Smith podcast. He was literally at the first practice ever for Georgia State. He's covered this program for years. He joins us to break down Georgia State's challenging season. Caden, tell our listeners a little bit more what they'll hear from Ben in this episode. Yeah, there's no question that Ben Moore knows his stuff about Georgia State football. It's great hearing his perspective on this season, their history as a whole, and really just the future of this program. It's an interesting crossroads when you look at this team as far as the transfer portal, the ins and outs, and who's been coming in, who's been leaving, and some of the coach continuity they have to look forward to next year. So without further ado, let's get to our chat with the one and only Ben Moore. Really excited to have Ben Moore. He covers Georgia State for 24-7 sports. Ben, thanks for taking uh, some time out of your schedule to jump on and talk some Georgia State football. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me, man. Thanks. Excited to to chop it up and talk a little GSU football for sure. Well, Ben, we're just going to jump right in like we do with all of our guests. Uh, You know, for the second year in a row, this Georgia State team, they start the year 0-4. But unlike last year, they were unable to kind of rebound and then secure that bowl, uh, you know, berth at the end of the year. It was an up and down year that featured, you know, that big win over Georgia Southern and then that road win over Southern Miss. But what will you remember most about this season for the Panthers? Yeah, the biggest thing ultimately, I think 2022 was the year of the injury, right? Uh, No coaches want to have, um, you know, some of their key guys go down, uh, especially along the offensive line. You know, you start at the very top, the CEO of the program, Sean Elliott, is a former, you know, SEC offensive line coach at the University of South Carolina. And that's the one thing that he has said really since he arrived. Uh, you know, in, in 2016, his first season, 2017, uh, the Panthers offense is predicated on running the football. Uh, they've been very, very good, if not to great uh, at, at rushing the football and one of the top uh, rushing offenses in the nation and have a dual threat quarterback. And, and we're having all these pieces and, and really getting a lot of preseason hype and love. Um, and unfortunately, uh, a very, very rugged, you know, first out the gate. You shoot out and go to go to williams Bryce Stadium. You play play uh, in Columbia against the University of South Carolina. Uh, you have a lot of South Carolina natives, including Sean Elliott, who's from Camden, South Carolina, playing in his home state. Uh, and they were revved up in there and um, then come back and host a North Carolina team 
uh, which a lot of people were kind of shaking their heads at that simply because the week before North Carolina played at another Sunbelt team at state the week before in, in an unbelievable game. Uh, and they had their, their hands full with the Panthers there. And I think both of those back-to-back games, certainly the physicality of it, um, losing in the way that they did, certainly uh, having a lead at home against the University of North Carolina and not able to pull it out uh, there against Drake May and the Fighting Tar Heels. But um, come back there and, and just lost key pieces along the offensive line. It really was a shuffle. Uh, I went back and looked at the 12-game season and legitimately did not have basically 22 of the same guys in the same positions for consecutive games. And I think that was a huge part of it as well. You had key contributors go down. So, um, you know, we, we call it, I, I do at least, I, I call it injury luck, right? You know, you want guys that get through preseason, fall camp healthy. You, you want to get them on the right path. But then again, guys came in there and, you know, you hear the next man up when you talk to every single coach. Uh, this team had had the lead in the second half for seven of its eight losses this season. So it wasn't like they were getting blown out. The games were very, very close. And uh, if you're a Georgia State fan, it was extremely frustrating, right? You have a second half lead, even had fourth quarter leads uh, in multiple games that you lost. And uh, just just to have it kind of go that way. And, um, you know, you, you want to look back and say, hey, maybe a, a player or two or a penalty or two or or, or something that of, of that nature. But, um, you know, I think the defense – Took some strides there, uh, lost lost their defensive leader um, in the, in game three, and Blake Carroll, who's their inside linebacker and basically their quarterback of their defense. Um, so that was that was difficult to digest, but uh, I think it was an opportunity for a lot of young players to get looks. And and while it's frustrating, and you kind of you know look back, I think it can be potentially a blessing in disguise where a lot of young guys, you know, first year, second year players were able to get uh, reps taking place of that injuries, and now obviously got to reload for twenty twenty three. And Ben, one of those close games this year that the Panthers were able to pull out was in week six against Georgia Southern and a rivalry game that people are trying to kind of hype up in the Sun Bowl and trying to get going. They've now won that game three straight years by one score. It's been a traditionally and historically close one now for quite some time. What do you think has led to Georgia State being able to get the upper hand in that little series that they have, that little rivalry that they're kind of brewing now in the Sun Belt? Yeah, just just incredible, and, and and to be clear too, for folks that don't follow and obviously know the state, uh, you know the know the you know the state of Georgia. You have Georgia, and you have Georgia Tech, right? That's clean old fashioned hate. Uh, I've been playing, you know, basically depend on who you talk to. If you talk to a Georgia fan, you talk to a Tech fan, they're going to tell you different results and when it started. Uh, they've been playing this since the late eighteen hundreds. Uh, well, Georgia State and Georgia Southern have been playing competitively in sports, obviously not football, but competitively in sports since the nineteen sixties. So I, I've I've actually talked to Letterman. Uh, in basketball and baseball from the 70s and 80s, and they they hated playing those guys. And you know, there, there's a there's a distinct rivalry, and, and we you kind of have that that pecking order in the state, um, and then naturally you know get get together uh, in, in the same conference in the Sun Belt in 2014. And, and look, Georgia Southern just obliterated Georgia State. It, it was embarrassing. They they you know their crowd was was incredible. If you look back some of the photos, and it really you know stoked the fire to this. Uh, you go back to the following year in 2000, basically 15, and Georgia State hands Georgia Southern their worst ever home loss, 34-7, and just dominated a, probably one of the better teams. You look up and down that Georgia Southern roster, um, you have probably five or six easily NFL guys um, that were on that team, You know, Jet McKinnon and Matt Breda and, and guys like that, really, really talented, and that kind of just started it, the explosion. Uh, to really kind of answer your question, I mean, that Georgia Southern, of course, had a coaching change there. They, they let um, – 
I let Chad Lunchford go in the middle of the year uh, last year. Really an embarrassing, you know, season that way. You have a you know senior defensive lineman basically drinking a beer on top of their bus pregame. Uh, I, I received that tweet like literally, and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, oh, did this happen yesterday? And they're like, no, this was on the way to the game. Um, so obviously, the the rivalry and the back and forth with that has been incredible. But you know, both both programs obviously recruit the state of Georgia, recruit Metro Atlanta very very hard. Um, you know, Clay Helton being a, obviously a big name coming in from Southern Cal and really having the landscape of, of the roster. And, you know, and, and, I, and I've, I, I think he did a fantastic job considering what his roster was down there, um, had one of the best passers in the in the nation, one of the best passing attacks, but had one of the worst defenses. And you saw that, I believe, in that game when the Panthers were able to run up and down the field. Uh, on them, I mean, I I thought very early was in the building for you know said somebody uh, sitting next to me in the second quarter. I said, "Man, Georgia State may score sixty today." L- literally, just could not stop them, um, you know, up and down the field. But you know, things happen in rivalry games and interceptions and fumbles and weird bounces and things like that. But the Panthers were able to to pull that out again, and for whatever reason, uh, in, in that rivalry, uh, really since that that thirty four to seven game, um, it's been it's been kind of tilted the other way. I mean, we've seen. Uh, back and forth as every rivalry series go, and it'll be back to Statesboro uh, in you know this fall, twenty twenty three, and uh, even a bigger wrinkle. So, starting left tackle Bryson Broadway, who was on the Georgia State roster, is now down at Georgia Southern. So he jumped in the transfer portal and went down south. So he's the first ever uh, uh, player to jump ship and 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 go to those other guys. And uh, if you talk to Georgia State fans, you know they'll uh, they'll they'll turn their nose up and they call him that team down south. Um, so they don't even kind of honor him there. A little, little Michigan, Ohio State action for Georgia, if you will. But uh, I think it's a great rivalry, and that's that's honestly what college makes college sports great. You know, because somebody's going to basically have bragging rights. Uh, you know, until the next sport, and um, if for another for another year. Yeah, I mean, Caden and I are definitely on record with wanting to see more of these rivalries developed in the Sun Belt. I think it's great for the fans. I think that's why. You know, we spoke with Keith Gill earlier in the offseason, why there was such an emphasis on the schools that were brought in and these regional rivalries and how important they are. Uh, Ben, you know, going into the final three weeks of the regular season, this team was sitting at four and five. Then they went on to play three one score football games, including a two point loss uh, to JMU and Harrisonburg. What was the general feeling around this program like after that stretch where Hey, it could have gone either way. Georgia State could have very easily been bowling had a couple of plays gone their way. No, no doubt about it. And specifically for that JMU game, I mean, the Panthers had a twenty-one, you know, uh, point lead basically, and, and blew that in the second half. Extremely frustrating. Obviously, on the road, um, they were in a recruiting battle with basically a running back that actually committed to James Madison, who was on an official visit at that game. So, you know, had had kind of impact on not only that day, but you know, down, down the aisle. But once really, uh, you know, the Panthers, you know, were bowl ineligible, if you will, and, and got that seventh loss, uh, it was extremely deflating. I mean, Co- Coach Elliott, I could tell really uh, in that press conference and even, you know, the final press conference with the eighth loss, because uh, we asked him, you know, during that week, hey, are you going to, you know, go at it and play some younger guys? You know, the season basically is kind of off the rails here. Um, and he said, no, I'm, I'm trying to win every single game. I'm trying to build momentum into the offseason but you could just see the amount um you know that it took out of him and, and really just the momentum that he and his staff had built um and that's the biggest thing that we saw last offseason i mean the panthers lost five uh coaches basically uh two of them went to Tulane, and we know Tulane had a fantastic season they lost their defensive line coach and offensive line coach um there uh you you replaced or, or moved around basically all five offensive coaches uh you lost your offensive coordinator to virginia tech 
Um, Brad Glenn, you had uh, your uh, interim offensive coordinator who was pro- going to be promoted to offensive coordinator to Louisville, uh, which is even kind of even more salt in the wound because Scott Satterfield was uh, college teammates with Sean Elliott there at App State um, and how that conversation went. Um, so you had a lot of moving pieces and a lot of moving parts. Uh, Trent McKnight was the wide receivers coach, had never been an offensive coordinator before, had to kind of take over in the middle of spring, so really hadn't got his feet wet. And I think, you know, that's part of this, I think, exciting moving forward. I know we'll talk, we'll touch on that in a minute, but, you know, just just looking at, all right, having a full offseason with the staff in place, there wasn't staff movement. And that's a big thing with Sean Elliott uh, and his tenure. Uh, as we know, success at the Sunbelt level, you tend to, you know, power five teams come and grab your coaches, right? They pay you more. They may be, you may be paying a position coach 125, 150 K, uh, you know, a, a power five comes in and says, here's a half a million dollars. Come coach our tight ends or come coach our wide receivers. So it's a, it's a lot different uh, as the other half there. So uh, as of this point, at least he hasn't lost an assistant coach, uh, which is certainly a great sign and, and uh, for continuity and development for this staff. And, and uh, obviously they, they still have some holes to fill uh, on the roster with, I think at, at last check, eight scholarships left. Definitely. And I know the off season of continuity is definitely very important for the program. And it's going to be exciting to see where that goes in the off season. And I feel like this off season, a player that a lot of people are going to have a lot of eyes on based on the season he had last year was quarterback Darren Granger. He was one of the biggest bright spots of this team with his continued growth and maturation. I know he's someone who I bet against a couple of times this year on this podcast. and He made me eat my words. But could you just talk a little bit more about how he's been able maybe to establish himself as establish himself as more of a passer to go along with that dynamic run game and what do you think maybe he needs to build on heading into this next season yeah i, I think he did, you know overall you know you look at a four and eight season on the surface you're gonna say hey that was disappointing right you know the offense um you know changed a little bit Trent not coming from a, being a wide receivers coach hey he's gonna want to throw the ball more he's gonna want to get the ball into his playmakers and that and that did happen um i think you continue to kind of see the evolution of Granger's game. And the, the one thing to kind of remember too, is, you know, he, he was one of those guys who was at Furman in the FCS year. So he, he lost his complete season during COVID. It was shut down. Um, so when you have basically a whole year that's just wrecked um, and kind of taken out of your career, it kind of stalls your development a little bit. Uh, he took over the job in 2021, uh, you know, in the fourth week there against Charlotte. And then from there, the Panthers offense just took off and, and rolled, um, and, and that was kind of the hope they were hoping they would, you know, it would do the same in 2022. Uh, the offense was solid, uh, but I think against, especially against some of the better defenses in the league, you know, stalled out and you saw, you know, kind of some weaknesses there, obviously some offensive line, you know, issues had, had to do with that. But I think Granger as well um, tried to put a little bit more on his back. Uh, he, he is an excellent runner uh, an unscripted runner. Uh, they do have some quarterback draws, quarterback, uh, you know, designed runs and things of that nature. But you know, he's, he's a guy that legitimately can go 55 or 60 yards in the blink of an eye. And, um, and, and he's not one of those guys that I think, um, it, you know, really stuns you. Like he's not going to fly or he's one of those long striders. So, but when he gets out there and goes, uh, you know, he can take off. So, you know, I think more as the year went on and, and, and uh, as I mentioned with a first year OC, really trying to figure out, all right, what can we do well? What do we want to do? And, and I think you saw a guy like Jamari Thrash, uh, who, who finished, you know, top 20 in the in the nation, um, basically in receiving yards. He was obviously a favorite target um, there. But you saw started to see other guys develop, and I think that's the next step um, as well in this offseason with Granger. Uh, they went out and grabbed Jacari Carter out of Merrimack College, who was a, who was a Jerry Rice uh, 2021 all, uh, FCS All-American as a freshman uh, to, to run slot. Uh, they'll have a, a Robert Lewis basically come back to try to fill that gap that uh, you know, Jamari Thrash leaving to go to Louisville. 
Um, that was another storyline, really, is, is you've had five Power Five uh, transfers off the 2022 roster. So uh, it wasn't like the Panthers did not have talent on their roster, as we can cer- certainly can see. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely would, would want to see Granger continue to be more balanced. But at the same time, you don't want to take away what works well for him. Um, he, he is a, a big-time runner, can get out in space. And uh, what's just what's just wild to me is is he looks uh, almost as frail as he did coming in. He looks like he weighs about 190 pounds, dripping wet at about six four and a half. So, uh, but he he doesn't take big hits. He knows how to get down and get out of dodge. And I think his passing game is continuing to to evolve for sure. Well, Ben, don't worry. We will definitely talk about the transfers going out of this program a little bit later on in this episode. But right now, let's talk Tucker Gregg. Uh, he ends this year with 700 plus yards from scrimmage for the second year in a row, 12 touchdowns. He'll end his Georgia State career as the program's leading rusher and leader in rushing touchdowns. You've been around this program for years. What will Tucker Gregg's legacy as a Panther be? Yeah, just an incredible story. You know, one of those stories that I think every single coach, no matter what the level wants, right? You know, a guy basically that was not recruited highly at all, was a guy who was a walk-on that uh, legitimately sent videos of him working out and squatting to the coaching staff and, uh, you know, being, being there, I mean, his, his famous saying, and, and it has been repeated all over the place on social media and other places is basically, you know, you, 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 you know, you got, he, basically he loved leg day, right? So you, you can't, can't spell legendary without leg day. So, um, you know, he, he would, uh, have that mantra and he just was, you know, super difficult to, to tackle, uh, very, very tough runner. I, I compared him, you know, kind of old school to the to former Arkansas running back, uh, Peyton Hillis, a uh, guy that basically just runs really, really tough. Not a four-four guy by no means, but if he catches an opening, go go ask Auburn. You know, Auburn basically he's you know scampered off, uh, you know, basically an inside uh, dive play for about fifty-five yards there. Jordan Hare and and uh, was it was funny to talk to some folks at Auburn. They were like, I can't believe that fullback got loose. And I said, well, he's not exactly a fullback. Like he's a running back that can go. But no, I think you know definitely his you know his impact on the program was huge. Um, had a great tandem one-two with Jamias Williams. Jamias was kind of that lightning and to his thunder. And when those guys were really running hard in 2021 and 2022, Panthers' offense was was pretty tough to stop. I can speak pers- firsthand of trying to stop Tucker Greg, and he's definitely a hard tackle. And we've had him on this podcast, and he's also spoken more about the leg day and his workout routine and the work he puts in. But you mentioned it. Jamias Williams is a guy who was working in tandem with Tucker Greg. We saw some Marcus Carroll this year as well. And now that Tucker Greg, the face of the program, who was kind of that lead running back at such an important position group, is now departing. Looking forward now, what do you think this running back room is going to look like in the future? Yeah, cer- certainly. Gonna, you know, there's reps available, no doubt. I mean, you mentioned Marcus Carroll. He, he's obviously the guy in line to kind of take over for those two super seniors as they exit the program um, guy uh, that that got a few games did redshirt this year of course you know you're able to play four um, you know then keep keep your redshirt Casey Adams um, one one of the you know top guys not speed wise um, but one of the best players in the state of South Carolina um, coming out uh, two years ago uh, just had ungodly stats 6,000 career you know career uh, yards as a as a high schooler 2,000 yards as a senior um, and just ridiculous agility. That was the biggest thing that I kept seeing from his film, uh, seeing him live in spring is you know just his side to side mobility. And that's the biggest thing this offense wants. They want the one cut back, right? You want to basically go and, and have inside outside. Um, I think Casey Adams is going to have an opportunity. Uh, a guy by the name of Jaquan Dixon um, will have an opportunity as well. Looked very, very strong last spring. They went and you know, went down to middle Georgia to just an absolute powerhouse in Colquitt County, Georgia, and go grab Charlie Pace, uh, who's been on one of the you know the, the Packers Packers program, a really really impressive young man as well. 
there will be reps available. And, and I know they're still shopping. They're still looking. Uh, Sean Elliott talked about it in his, you know, his press conference in December saying, look, we got We got to replace two guys that are that, you know, took a ton of reps. So they're going to have an opportunity. Uh, Marcus Carroll will certainly have his opportunity, but uh, they may be still shopping as well in the transfer portal and, and seeing who they can grab. And and uh, and now something that you know, we didn't see a couple of years, of course, the junior college you know, ranking. So could find a Juco running back or transfer portal running back. They're still uh, looking to fill that spot. But definitely Mar- Marcus Carroll, who's from about, I think, eight miles south, it, it, you know, uh, from the Georgia State campus as well. So it being being part of Atlanta. Um, is a big part of him, and, and he's ready for it. I know he's already been training uh, heavy to take take an increased workload. Well, I think, and to your point, I mean, we started this episode talking about the injuries that Georgia State dealt with. They're a very heavy rushing attack. You want to have a lot of bodies in that kitchen cabinet uh, to deal with potential injuries that are certain to crop up throughout the year. Uh, let's talk Jamari Thrash. He has a huge year, essentially doubles his reception yards and touchdowns from a season ago. He ends the year. I mean, arguably, you could call him the best wide receiver in the Sun Belt this season. Tell us about him and what you believe led to him having uh, such a monster year. And then ultimately, how big of a loss is his transfer to Louisville out of this program? Yeah, just just an elite route runner. Uh, that's that's the biggest thing that kind of pops off the page. Uh, just knows how to get open. You know, really knows how to use his body. Knows how to kind of uh, diagnose the the defense. Uh, re- you know, really really quickly. Um, you know, and he. Um, what was a guy basically that you know caught a touchdown pass against Auburn last year and, and really was one of those guys as as the passing offense kind of continued to evolve with Granger in his first year as a starter at Georgia State in 21. You know, Jamari kind of became that guy. Uh, you had just uh, Josiah Credo on the other side of UCF transfer. Uh, he was kind of the the big guy, and Jamari kind of moved in and out. Uh, but just you know, big time you know route runner, tremendous hands. Um, can can really work, you know, inside a zone, and 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 that's the thing that we see a lot in the Sun Belt, trying to defend a lot of the spread option, uh, the spread offenses that we see across the league. Is you're going to see a lot of cover two, a lot of cover three. He just knows how to operate, knows how to get open, um, and that's the biggest thing that that you know I would say about him. And and I even talked to some folks that that cover Louisville. Um, you know, hey, what what's the deal? What you know, what can you tell us about us? And it, it's a seismic loss. I mean, it really is for this this Panther offense. Uh, there are will be guys that will try to certainly replace them. Robert Lewis, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, will be one of those guys um, who who uh, you know suffered uh, suffered a lower leg injury late in the season, so he really didn't get an opportunity to play there. I mentioned Jakari as well could potentially be uh, a, a guy to come on. Creedle's back. They still obviously want to work in tight ends as well, um, but no, Jamari. Um, and it was interesting to kind of see in his comments as well. Um, he ends up lands at Louisville, uh, and uh, you know he came out. You know, basically, and was quoted, "Hey, look, I knew exactly where I was going when he jumped in the portal, and, and that does happen, as we know." And and Caden can protest to that, probably talking to some prospects and saying, "Hey, they jump in the portal with the express interest of going where he was." Well, Auburn came calling. Hugh Freeze was down there, and they got him to take an official visit. Um, it's very close to home. He, he's you know about forty five minutes away from the Auburn campus, basically where he grew up. Um, down there in, in southeast or southwest Georgia. So um, Auburn made an impression on him, but he wanted to be a part of Brian Brom's offense and certainly having conversations there. I talked to some former Louisville staffers, and they mentioned, hey, Jamari would probably be the best wide receiver on that roster last year. So um, they're, they're looking for big things there, and obviously the Panthers have very, very big shoes to fill um, there moving into 2023. 
Definitely a big loss there. And you lose another player like Antavius Lane, who's been one of the best safeties in the conference for a while now. Jonathan Bass, Akeem Smith, many others. As far as the state of the program goes, what do you make of some of those big losses and departures hitting the transfer portal? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think, you know, we and we talked about the transfer portal in general. You know, some, some guys basically leave for playing time. They Some guys leave to, you know, to go. I mean, you look at a lot of the guys that left in the portal. Um, they weren't from the state of Georgia, right? They're going closer to home potentially or going to other opportunities or dropping down FCS. Um, but do, you mentioned a couple of those guys too, where they may have not been stars. Then you have a group of five, six, seven guys who were going to be impact guys who were in line basically to start again, um, you know, looking for bigger opportunities. I mean, look at Thomas Gore. I mean, Thomas Gore, pro football uh, focused college rated him as the number one interior lineman in the nation in 2021 and, and a dominant player. And it's funny too, because I've, you know, Twitter is never a good uh, gauge, right, for for people's thoughts process. But you see some of the folks, hey, they got some six foot, 285 pound defensive lineman. What in the world? You know, what is Miami doing? What is Mario Cristobal doing? Thomas Gore is one of the best defensive linemen, pound for pound, that I've ever seen. And um, he's a guy, again, that, that was found playing basketball, basically, when the Georgia State staff was looking at one of his teammates. Um, and he was a two star guy, um, you know, in undersized 5'11 and a half but about 255 260 pounds now he's going to play significant reps reps in the ACC you mentioned Antavius Lane he heads up to North Carolina um and, and will have an opportunity to play there you know I I called him the Sun Belt's version basically of the honey badger Tyron Matthew just always around the football uh you know making plays basically in the interception you know with heavy hits you know popping the ball out uh, just an incredible athlete there. So the Panthers have obviously holes there on defensive line, safety. There will be reps available for those guys. Uh, but, you know, th- there's a portion of this, I believe, as well, where some guys looked around and said, hey, I'm not going to be able to play. You know, Jonathan Bass got replaced basically by a redshirt freshman at right tackle. He suffered some injuries there. But the Panthers will see him, uh, you know, in a, in a couple weeks uh, into the season as he's uh, going to be with Charlotte. So interesting to see how that that goes. So they'll see some former players. Uh, on their schedule in 2023, but um, you know the portal certainly, uh, and, and I know a lot of fans overall and, and media and everybody else kind of get uh, agitated about it. I don't mind it. Um, you know, if kids want to better their opportunity and better themselves and have an opportunity, awesome. I just think the other side is you're going to have hundreds, if not thousands, of kids that are not bettering their situation or may not have a situation to go to, and that's the that's the tough part for me because you just don't know where they're getting advice. Um, I know some coaches also will push kids into the portal saying, look, you don't have a place here. You're not going to have an opportunity to play. Um, you know, some fans and some folks don't like to hear that. But as I remind people, college scholarships are renewable annually. So um, it's just part of part of the business, part of the, you know, kind of the side of it um, that doesn't always, you know, make everyone feel warm and fuzzy. But then again, you can go into the portal and, and find some impact guys as well. Ben, I'm going to narrow our focus on this next question. We obviously we've talked a lot about departures uh, and people leaving this program. You know, you've already brought up a couple of guys in the transfer portal that are coming in. Uh, there's obviously going to be some, you know, some new high school players as well. Uh, give us two players that this coaching staff is really excited uh, to have join this roster, and that fans should definitely be keeping an eye out for as we move into 2023. Yeah, I mentioned Jakari Carter, so I won't I won't, won't go won't belabor at that point. I think on the defensive side of the ball, a guy by the name of Kevin Swint uh, came from Clemson, from Carrollton High School, basically west of the city of Atlanta. Uh, was a consensus, you know, four star across the board, had just incredible offers up and down all around Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Georgia Tech. Uh, was an edge rusher, outside linebacker, and and what this defense wants to do is they want to get after you basically in their front seven. Um, you know, you had the nation's leading, uh, you know, basically. 
leading out leading defender in sacks and Jamil Muhammad, who of course we haven't even talked about, who uh, gets on the transfer portal ends up on Lincoln Riley's squad out there at USC, um, being that edge rusher. Um, so I, they they have a vision for him to really you know be the, that impact guy outside to kind of tandem him with Shamar McCollum, who transferred. Uh, in from Wake Forest a couple of years ago, um, I think they're very, very high. Obviously, on Kevin Swint, um, they they have to re- you know replace some folks on the offensive line. As we mentioned a little bit earlier, they lost two super seniors in Malik Sumter and Pat Bartlett. Um, they they have a guy by the name of Titan Ferris who they're very, very high on. Um, guy that played in the MAC and played a lot of different positions along the offensive line. Played left guard, played center, uh, played right guard, and as we talked about a little bit earlier, this this Panthers offense is predicated on the run game. Well, you got to have. You know, you, you got to be good up front. You got to be good on the, you know the interior as well to run some of those plays uh, and really hammer it up because you know they they'll run that inside zone. They'll run that run that quarterback draw right up the gut. And if you're not strong there, basically, uh, you know, inside the tackles. And I think that's where the really, the Panthers have really really pushed. Uh, it may not be the sexy name, right? You know, you, you're going to say, hey, offensive lineman. Um, and but I, I think they're continuing to obviously rebuild their um, and, and it's it's been interesting. They've been very very strategic. You know, they they had uh, a defensive lineman in from Wofford who was a three year starter. They, they're looking at you know older guys. They're looking at guys that you know maybe graduate transfers may only have one year left. So kind of build that bridge basically to the high school guys who may or may not be ready. So you're going to see that this year. You're going to see some new names and some new faces. And we've already gotten some feedback from some of the workout videos they posted on. They're like, hey, we we don't recognize a lot of those guys. And I'm like, yeah, there's there's a whole lot of roster turnover. But by, by by my account, she'll probably have about 25% of, of, of new guys come in, which is just un, unheard of. But here we are in the transfer portal age. That's that's where we are. Definitely the new age of college football. And me and Noah appreciate that answer. We love giving offensive linemen love, the unsung heroes of the game, as much as we can. But in my time at playing at App Ben, I think I've played at Georgia State a couple of times. It's no secret that there's a lot of stadium there, maybe not as many fans that they'd like to be there. I know me and Noah were there for the Coastal Carolina game that I was at home this year. What do you think it's going to take to grow this fan base and continue? What do you think the keys will be to continue to build on what they have as a program as far as fans go and getting the city involved in the program? Yeah, the biggest thing, and as you mentioned, I mean, it's, a, it's an extremely crowded landscape. Uh, and that's that's one of the hardest things. That that was what was really argued uh, when Georgia State you know, went through the feasibility study back in 2008. Uh, they said, hey, look, is this going to be successful? And, and, and believe me, there was a whole bucket of detractors. There were people that said, look, this is never going to work. Um, I give a ton of credit to then President Mark Becker because he realized almost immediately FCS in Atlanta was not a solution, was not going to work. Uh, you're not going to really push and, and pull uh, fans in in there. Um, and then, you know, as, as with a lot of new programs that aren't prepared really to jump, um, you know, not as prepared certainly as App State was or even JMU or Georgia Southern, um, they, they lost a lot of games. And losing, I don't care what level you are and what sport you are, but it kills fan support. And in the city of Atlanta, they will turn on you quick. Um, you know, and I, I tell folks a lot as, as being here since 1995, um, there's kind of basically three things that, that will bring fans in. And we saw it, you know, with Georgia State basketball and R.J. Hunter and Ron Hunter. Um, you you got to win at a very high level. You got to win at home. And that was a, something that this program struggled with tremendously, did not protect home field at all. Uh, now they have their own building and they have to obviously continue to evolve and make that their own. Um, in the last four years, they've they've actually won more than they've lost at Center Park Credit Union Stadium downtown. Uh, of course, the former Turner Field um, and that that retrofit. And as I continue to kind of remind folks, it is evolving as a stadium. Uh, it, it is something that basically they said, all right, we need to have and we need to have a football field. And then they build a weight room and an ops center. 
Um, there's plans to build more and there's plans for an indoor practice facility. There's other other things that are going to evolve and to kind of continue to to grow and, and compete with the top of the Sunbelt teams. The second is basically having a star player. There were star players here. We've seen them. You've had NFL level talent and Shannon Sullivan, Penny Hart uh, come through the program, you know, leave the program. Um, that's where this this program they're going to need to ride that star. Is Darren Granger that guy? We can see this is his third year, you know, as a starter at quarterback. And as we all know, quarterbacks get a lot of the love, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, as, as Caden would probably agree. But the next is a winning style uh, and, and an exciting style. And the Panthers will put up points. They they've showed they can you know put points up, and, and certainly folks you know don't want the old school you know nine six games and things like that. But um, the Panthers got to continue to to play well, and and I I believe their defense really has to catch up with their offense. That's been the biggest knock under Sean Elliott. Um, the defense just has been very opportunistic, but not elite or even you know great at, at times. Um, they you know obviously got to attack there. Um, they they come from the bend don't break kind of style. Um, and I think that's kind of the next steps. And they're they're identifying people, like we mentioned earlier, Kevin Swint bringing guys like that that can be impact players on the defensive side of things. But just continue to win at a high level, continue to kind of carve their niche out. And, you know, amongst the Giants, you have the back-to-back national champs, uh, basically 85 miles up the road. University of Georgia, of course, Georgia Tech, um, which is, you know, literally – a mile and a half from the campus. So you, you have, you know, that pull, pull away and the relationship there. I don't want to go too crazy with it, but I mean, the, the relationship between those two schools, it goes back to literally the 1900s where Bobby Dodd uh, sent some of his football players over to Georgia state to take classes at night. So um, there, there's, so, so you've got that symmetry and you have a lot of Georgia. And I tell people all the time, you know, Georgia state alums are football fans. They just support Auburn or Alabama or South Carolina or Clemson or Florida State or any of the other 10, 12, 15 campuses. You got to re- give them a reason to come back, right? Um, you got to win at a high level. You got to play exciting teams. I mean, I, I will tell, you know, tell folks North Carolina coming in there, that was a big deal. Uh, you know, next, next year, basically they go to LSU. Uh, then the following year after that, you host Vandy. The next year after that, you host Georgia Tech. Next year after that, you go to Georgia Tech. So um, they're they're looking to schedule aggressively. They want to bring in some Power Five programs. They want to bring in some reputable names. Uh, they've scheduled aggressively, really, since you know the the program kicked off in 2010, uh, going to the defending national champs, the Alabama Crimson Tide, and, and really haven't looked back since. But um, that's you know I think again winning at a high level. You know they're they're not going to be you know able to grab the fans who have had generations of fans. I tell people, I, yeah. I have a four, I have a 14 year old in my house. That's as old as this program is, you know, they, mm-hmm. you're not going to have generations of fan when you haven't existed for a generation. Uh, this was an idea, obviously, you know, 10, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And that uh, was only green lighted officially in 2009. So I think the program will obviously continue to evolve. Got it, got to continue to win. And, and I know, Sean Elliott's putting pressure on himself and, and his staff to to have a big bounce back season in 2023. Yeah, there's a lot you know there's a lot to dig into right there, and and we'll definitely have to do more of that in, in the future. But Ben, here's the spot of the program where you get put on the hot seat. We've asked this question to every media member that's come before you. We need you to pull out your crystal ball. We've seen the announced opponents for next season. We don't necessarily know the order just yet. Uh, we've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the strength of the East Division. And then really just everything else we've talked about. So having said all of that, what are realistic expectations in your mind for Georgia State? I need a prediction in terms of what you think their record could look like 
in the 2023 season. Yeah, I think I think definitely the non-conference is, is a lot better than not having to play back-to-back Power 5 schools. That certainly helps, uh, you know, going up against a, a Rhode Island squad that will have uh, less scholarships than most FCS schools. So I, I would, you know, not play the win-loss game, but I would certainly hope that that would be a win uh, there to open the home schedule. They travel to Charlotte, uh, kind of have that being a you know, 50-50, but a winnable game certainly should have been last season. Uh, as, as terrible as Charlotte was, I even said that probably was one of one of Sean Elliott's worst losses as a head coach. Just the, the way things continued to devolve. Uh, I was actually sitting next to you. I mentioned a little earlier R.J. Hunter that in, in the club level watching that game, and he was like, "What is happening right now?" And I was like, "I don't know, man. They may call you. They may call you to go out there and you know defend somebody." Uh, but but I like you know I like the matchup with UConn. Very interested to see Jim Mora. Uh, come in, but I believe that's again another winnable game. So I think from a non-conference point of view, two and two, uh, potentially three and one. Um, as you mentioned, the Sun Belt East is brutal. Um, there's there's a lot, you know, especially at the top. You know, JMU super impressive. I think they will, you know, will certainly be underdogs in, in most of the Sun Belt East games they play. They got to play rival Georgia Southern on the road. Um, you know, road games in in conference play are certainly difficult as well. Um, their home schedule. You've got you know App State coming in. You've got uh, you know, Marshall coming in, there's there's not a lot of wins that you just kind of line up. And then even worse, you go out to Sunbelt West and here comes Troy. No big deal. They just won the Sunbelt last year and, and with 12 wins. So, I, you know, I, I think you're probably going to see an over under in the neighborhood of probably three or four. Uh, and I think that's about right. Um, the last time that happened, the Panthers surprised and went to a bowl game and, and went seven and seven and four in 2020. So um, I fully expect this team, and I've told people this privately, and we'll say it now publicly on this pod. I expect them to be predicted dead last in the Sun Belt East. I do, um, just because you look at the way the roster, um, you know, the losses. That's where you're going to look at. You're going to say, hey, impact player, impact player, impact player, offense, impact player, defense. Um, you know, that's that's going to be a reality for this team. It's something they're going to have to overcome, but. You know, I can see them surprising and getting to a six and six. You know, we've seen, we talked about, you know, even against the Sun Belt, the top of the Sun Belt this season, you know, they were in every game. They there weren't, they weren't overmatched by a single team they, they played. You know, even, even kicking off the season against South Carolina, the Panthers had a lead in the third quarter in that game. Uh, had two punts blocked for touchdowns. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of iron out those special teams gaffes and, and you would have, you know, basically a special teams coordinator in for a second year. Uh, Sean Elliott hired him last cycle. Um, I can see this team getting to six and six and get to another bowl game. And I think that's really the expectation. And it has really been the floor for Sean Elliott here in Atlanta um, because that's kind of the expectation. Get to a bowl game. Uh, he's performed very well in bowl games as well. The Panthers, when they have, you know, a lot of prep time, they play very, very well, as we've seen, you know, back in obviously 2019 in Tennessee, you know, uh, nearly knocked off, uh, you know, Auburn basically on the road as well. So, um, you know, I, I can see them basically at six and six. Uh, realistically, if things go well, and obviously, you know, injury luck is a big part of it as well. Well, Ben, I really appreciate your honesty. Some of these media members that we have spoken to, I'm not going to name names. Everyone believes they're a 10-win team uh, in the Sun Belt East. We know there's only so many wins that can go around, but appreciate the honesty. Appreciate the insight into this program. I think one of the more interesting programs in the Sun Belt right now, Ben. I uh, really appreciate your time and definitely looking forward to staying in touch throughout the offseason. Yeah, sounds great. Appreciate you guys having me and look forward to doing it again. fun having Ben Moore on the podcast, Kate, and I feel like I learned a lot about Georgia State football and some of the challenges that they're facing as well as, you know, potentially things moving into the future that are bright spots. And Caden, when you talk about bright spots with this Georgia State team, it starts with Darren Granger at quarterback. 
Uh, he had a very good year this year. And I think from what we heard from Ben, expect more growth. And in a league that it's kind of wide open in terms of who the top quarterback is at this point, outside of Grayson McCall, I really think Darren Granger has a chance to solidify himself as one of the best quarterbacks in the Sun Belt next season. He definitely does. And I've been on this podcast and I've bet against Darren Granger, like we've talked about before, and I've bet on Cam Fancher. I feel like those are two quarterbacks now heading into the season that are kind of in similar positions. They have a lot of responsibility as far as a returning quarterback coming into a team and being able to elevate them. I think this is going to be a season where that position is going to be more important than ever when you look at how many teams lost that top quarterback, that highly regarded talent. And when you look at guys like a Darren Granger, he's going to have a big opportunity to have a huge impact on this season, especially when you look at some of the losses they had. He was this team's leading pass. He was this team's leading rusher and really got better and better week after week and really won this team a lot of their games when it looks at it. So you're very excited to see what he can do this offseason. And hopefully this team has a little bit more belief in him, a little bit more confidence in him heading into the season as well. Caden, I think it's Jimmy Fallon and correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes he'll bring guests on and have them read like mean tweets or takes from media members about them. I think we're going to have to have Darren Granger on this season and we're going to have to have you read some of your takes to Darren Granger and get his reactions uh, Caden, running back is going to be a question mark on this team. It's going to be a new look, uh, you know, rushing attack for Georgia State. Uh, but Caden, I want to spend time on this defense because that was the issue this year for Georgia State. They had some guys at the back end that were pretty good, but the defense largely hurt by injuries. They just weren't able to get the job done. And now they've lost several players that played big roles. I think defense is a huge question mark for Georgia State heading into next year. It's definitely going to be an issue, and I think it's definitely going to be a point of emphasis when you look at this team because they were able to lean on their talent in the beginning of the year when they were healthy. But then when you look and take away some of the important key linebackers, you take away some of those key defensive players on the back end that were very important to this team, it's going to present some challenges when you're a coordinator who's calling the plays. And I think when you have a well-rounded group and you're fully healthy, very easy to call plays. When you're losing some guys on the back end, losing some guys up front, and you have to lean into those strengths, I think that's where we saw Georgia State kind of get the best of them. So I think ultimately, yes, we're going to look at that defense and be worried about what they've got going on. But I think ultimately as well, when you look at the injury-riddled season that they had, going to be some questions about maybe the strength staff, maybe some of the new people you have to bring in as far as the health standpoint and building the callousing up that defensive side of the ball and making sure those guys are ready. So I'm looking really next season, can this team not only produce at a higher level on defense, but can they stay healthier? Can those guys with the day one starters end the season, play every game between it and get into their groove on the defensive side of the ball? Okay, and those thoughts at the end from Ben about the state of the Georgia State program, we've obviously seen a lot of people transfer out uh, this offseason. You know, we asked him directly about you know, the lack of fan support at times for this program. I just wanted to get your overall thoughts on, you know, what he what he just said and what it would take uh, for Georgia State to really build not only a competitive football team, but really a culture in Atlanta. Great question. I think I'm a guy from, from Georgia. I'm from Atlanta. I'm familiar with that program. It's a program that I talked to in my recruiting process a ton. And I think ultimately winning fixes a lot of those things. I think when Georgia State And if you look at the state as a whole and the talent that they have in that state, all Georgia State really has to do if they want to be successful is be able to grab those recruits that are in the state of Georgia that maybe aren't quite good enough to go to UGA, not quite good enough to go to Georgia Tech. Because then at that point, you're battling against Georgia Southern and some of the other smaller teams in the state that really can't compete as far as if Georgia State's winning, they're playing at a higher level. They're playing one of the few teams that can play in a Cotton Bowl if they are good enough. We might be a long time from now, but I do think winning is going to solve a lot of those problems. But I think some of the non-conference stuff will help as well. I think they have a lot of potential as far as the city. Atlanta's proven to be a place where sports can be valued. But if you're not 
it's a very much a place of have and have nots. There's people who don't even go to Hawks games anymore because they're not winning games despite them having a star like Trey Young. So can star power and scheduling help you a lot? Yes. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's going to come down to winning. If there's any universe where Georgia State can host a conference championship game, best believe there will be some people in those seats at that stadium. Hey, I really appreciate the perspective from you as a guy who's you know grown up in the Atlanta area. So I definitely think that what you're saying holds weight. Uh, well, if you've listened to any of our in review episodes so far, we've always spent time at the end of each episode handing out some end of year awards. Caden, we love handing out uh, awards on this podcast. Uh, we're going to hand out a team MVP, an offensive and a defensive MVP. And Caden, we even did some work to find who was the top freshman on this team. It was a little bit challenging for Georgia State. Only rule was that a player could only win one award. So, for instance, a Darren Granger couldn't be your team MVP and your offensive MVP. Caden, I'm going to let you go first with our freshman MVP for Georgia State this year. Yeah, and just staying on the theme of Atlanta, of Georgia, actually Blake Carroll, the person we talked about in this podcast who got injured, actually went to my high school. He was a great teammate of mine, someone who always left his heart on his sleeve, left everything out there. He was a big injury to the defense at the linebacker position, and I think that was able to enable this person, this freshman, to step up to the plate and have the season that he had. And that's why our freshman MVP is inside linebacker Jordan Jones. He had 38 tackles this year, one and a half TSFLs, and just a big-time player with a one interception and one fumble recovery as well. You love, as a linebacker, if you're a coach, to see a guy that can be around the ball, especially as a young age and limited snaps. Now you have to think going into next year, if this is a guy we can get some more snaps to, maybe he can get us even more turnovers. He had a breakout game against Army, had 12 tackles in that one against a team that we know loves to run the ball. So I think he showed moments and glimpses of what he could be looking like in this defense next year. It's just about can he do it maybe alongside of Blake Carroll now and staying on the defensive side of the ball. When you look at the defensive MVP, a guy like Blake Carroll isn't there, who is one of the top tacklers in this team historically. Leads room for a linebacker who's our defensive MVP, Jordan Vesvedal. He had 98 tackles this year, five and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, three fumble recoveries, played 12 games for this team every single game of the season was just a true Ironman for the squad and the clear and distinct leader of this defense. He led them in tackles. He led them as far as giving commands and getting guys lined up. And whether the secondary was messing up, whether there was things up front that was messing up for this team, he was easily the most consistent part and key to this defensive success that they had this year. If they had any at all, it probably had to do with this guy. Yeah, Venzial was really good this season uh, for Georgia State and certainly a player to look at moving forward. Caden, offensive MVP for me, it has to be Jamari Thrash. We talked with Ben about his performance this year. He was arguably the top wide receiver in the conference. We spent a lot of time in the preseason talking about who would grab that wide receiver one, that belt, and it was clearly Jamari Thrash this year, 61 catches, a little over 1,100 yards receiving, was inside the top 20 in the NCAA, led the Sun Belt in receiving yards, also had seven touchdowns. He had a big year, and Caden, Jamari Thrash was the favorite target for the guy who was our team MVP, and that was Darren Granger. Uh, Granger just did so much for this team. He was truly that dual-threat quarterback uh, and gave a lot of teams trouble. He throws for over 2,400 yards, which was a career high, 18 touchdowns, uh, and then on top of it, he's responsible for a little over 700 yards rushing in six touchdowns. Darren Granger uh, certainly had a big season in Caden. I know he's a guy between you and I that we're both high on heading into next year. Definitely high on him, and I think when you look at this team going forward, there's a lot of question marks at a lot of other positions. There's going to be some turnover at the running back position. There's turnover up front, and of course, you lose your number one target 
at the wide receiver position. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see Darren Granger after having such a great year last year. Maybe we're going to have to lean into some of his different talents heading into this year. We talked about him being a scrambler. Maybe if the run game isn't what we're used to seeing at Georgia State, you might have to step up and do some more design runs. If his receiver targets maybe aren't as consistent as that piece he had last year in Thrash, he might have to rely on some other guys, maybe rely on some tight ends, maybe scheme up defenses a little bit different with him at the helm. So I'm very interested to see not only him come back from the great year he had last year, but maybe have to lean into and adjust and evolve as a quarterback, and as a player, as a leader of this team heading forward. It will certainly be an interesting offseason for Georgia State. They have to reload the cupboard and, you know, they have to beat uh, Ben's win prediction of about four and a half. Uh, they've certainly shown in the past that they have the ability to maybe exceed uh, some expectations. Well, that will do it for another great episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to 24-7 sports reporter Ben Moore uh, for joining us for today's conversation. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with the next episode in our Sunbelt in review series highlighting the 2022 season for the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. On Wednesday, special guest Kevin Foote, who covers the Ragin' Cajuns for The Advocate, will stop by to provide an in-depth look at this year's team. That'll do it for us here at the Ferry and Smith Podcast. As always, if you like today's episode, please like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. We'll be here all offseason, keeping you up to date on all the latest happenings around the Sun Belt. For Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. We really appreciate you being with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.